Well, welcome, welcome to our final week of our series, Refined, uh, Pursuing Holiness. And the goal of our series being um, that God's refinement process isn't always easy. It's difficult, lots of choices, lots of tensions. Uh, This morning, we're going to be reminded why we're being refined by God, why we're willing to choose these difficult choices, tensions, this friction. I find that people will endure a lot, a lot of suffering, a lot of stress, a lot, a lot, just a lot, and they'll actually enjoy it, even look forward to it when they understand and value the why, right? Why am I doing this? Why are you doing this to me? Right? If we understand why and we value that why, hey, we're good with it. Bring it on. We know be, we, we, it's going to help us. And so we look forward to it, sort of. And here's the answer to the why. Submit to God's painful and sometimes confusing refinement process. Hit that next slide there. I don't know when you were little if you, were, if you had a club and I think of Bill Watterson and, and Calvin and Hobbes and no girls, at least Susie. You know, Susie's not allowed, but generally, if you're a girl, you're not allowed in his fort. You can be there if you're a tiger, but that's it. What I find is that human beings, we all want to be loved, right? To be looked up to rather than looked down on. Perfectly acceptable, perfectly normal. But we also want a little more than that if we're, if we're honest. We want to be special, right? We want to be distinctive. We want to be unique. And actually, if we're really, really honest, we also have a nasty desire to be so special, so distinctive, and so unique that we are actually better than others. You see how that that just kind of flowed, right? We don't even notice it. We want to be loved, and suddenly we want to be the most lovable in the room. It it just, it's, that's our human nature. We want to be loved. In fact, starting very early on in life is attested to by the signs, right? We want to be a part of exclusive groups, so exclusive that not everybody gets in. That makes us feel special and distinctive and unique, makes us feel like we're better than others. Rather than wanting everyone else to have it as good as we do, we tend to want a little bit better for us than others and whatever they group that we want to be better than. So here's God's answer, God's solution to the why situation. God's calling people to join a new community, right? Here on earth where the word's not allowed is simply not allowed, right? If you could sum up the kingdom of God that Jesus brought with his life and ministry, that would sum it up. He's here to start a brand new community of faith, different than anything that had gone before, Different than any other religion on the face of the earth, any other tradition, faith tradition, this was going to be radically unique. God will be with us. I don't know if you recognize this, but the very, 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 very end of that purpose and plan is that God will be with us, right? That's his plan. That's the culmination when he returns. God's purpose was always to dwell with us, and that will happen. Right? Everything is building towards that. That's what we're being processed for or refined for, that mission. 
I want you to notice something. God's not calling people to join a community later in heaven. I, I, I think you noticed that. If you didn't, there it is. He's calling all people to join the new community here, now, on earth, as it is in heaven. Right? That's our prayer. It was all made possible by the death and resurrection of God the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, next week, we're going to be starting a new Lenten series, looking at the final week of Jesus, culminating with Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. But for us this morning, we're looking at an event that took place a week of weeks, or 50 days after Easter. Right, so next week, we're going to go backwards. We're going to jump forward this today, concluding the message series, and then next week, we're going to jump back to the week before Easter. But this morning, we're looking at the Pentecost experiences recorded in the second chapter of Acts. We call it the birth of the church, which in hindsight it is, right? We recognize that now, but that wasn't Peter's focus, right? It wasn't Luke's purpose in recording Peter's speech, which is what we're going to look at this morning in Acts 2. As we're going to see, Peter's speech and Luke's purpose in recording that speech was to explain to the crowd that God had kept and accomplished everything promised to ancient Israel and the Jewish people. This is what, you're going to see this in just a little bit. This was the point of, one of the major points of Peter's speech, right? This is all a part of God's plan. He promised you long ago through the prophet Joel. We're going to look at that. This is him fulfilling his promise through the true Israelite, Jesus Christ. The very same person that they had crucified, but God had risen to life. So the crowd's going to be a little shocked by Peter's message. He's going to slam them, and then he's going to save them. <laughs> That's... Don't do that in your presentations. It's, it might not go well. And again, it wasn't fulfilled apart from Israel. This is so crucial, right? But through Israel itself, just as Jesus promised. See, this was going to be the new Israel, the new Jerusalem, right? The brand new community where ancient Israel and the Jewish people had failed to act like God's chosen son, which they were. Don't be confused. Israel was his first chosen son. We call Jesus his chosen son, also true. But as the true Israelite, everything kind of comes together, right? Through his son, Jesus Christ, the true Israelite, God was calling all people to join this new community based not on bloodlines or anything special or distinctive or unique about you. But it was on the blood of Jesus Christ that this, this new community would be based, this new Israel. In a way of living, we're not allowed. Attitudes were simply not allowed, right? A new community where people on the outside get invited in. A new community where people wronged by those on the inside finally find acceptance and healing. This crazy new community where people refusing forgiveness finally seek it. And where people unable to accept forgiveness, they are finally able to receive it, right? Self-imposed exiles, we looked at that last week. And in the second chapter of Acts speech that the apostle Peter makes, he explains this new community to this crowd on Pentecost Sunday that had just witnessed Pentecost. And they have some pretty wild opinions. What in the world is going on? We're going to hear about their opinions. So I want you to listen closely, maybe again for the umpteenth time. I think we all need to hear it many, many times as Peter tells really the old, old story. Two events that brought it all about. A couple testimony and witnesses that what he says is true. Two things that this new community promises. 
and a couple conditions, right, to helping you find your way into this new community, which I might add is easily the most exclusive community ever. Why? Because we're the community we're not allowed, isn't allowed. And there aren't many places on this earth that are like that. They don't even want your dog. Let's start with Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. A little bit of an exaggeration, but we'll go with it. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together and bewildered them because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they're just, they're just drunk. They've had too much wine. And so now Peter, excuse me, now Luke has just described something. He has Peter explain it. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, right? He had a middle school voice. He was a fisherman. He had to call loudly across the water and address the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. I don't know. I've seen drunk people at nine in the morning, but you know. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, right? This is actually God fulfilling his promise as recorded. Joel wrote this. He said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, love that. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And that's exactly what the crowd had witnessed that day. As Peter explains, here's what you saw. You know, that back then is this right here. This right here is that back in Joel. Same thing, same thing. I want you to notice something. The event called Pentecost happened 2,000 years ago. And if you're looking very closely at the very beginning of that phrase, in the beginning of that prophecy from Joel, in the last days, Peter made that change. Joel actually says afterwards, because some events had happened before and God was going to save them from their enemies, something bad, more than likely. But he changes it. In the last days, the event happened in the last days. We are in the last days. I know there's some opinions about this that we're still waiting for and preparing for them. But as I read this, I am distinctly impressed that the last days happened with the birth of Jesus Christ. We have been in the last days since then. As he says, in the last days, 
And it has happened. It happened in the last days. So if you're waiting for the last days to get ready, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Also notice all people, men and women, young and old, right? But not as in people not prepared or willing to receive the gift, but as in all people regardless of their outward status. All people. The prophecy continues. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. But listen very carefully. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So don't let all that smoke and fire and brimstone and all that bother you. If you call on the name of the Lord, you can just skip right all past that. All right? Don't want to miss that. Super important. Kind of hidden there. But again, this is all apocalyptic language, not necessarily to be taken literally. Blood and smoke and fire, the upheaval of natural order, those are all throughout the Old Testament. Those are all symbolically signs of God's judgment. Ancient Israel used them all to describe his judgment, which Peter goes on to say begins with accepting or denying the truth of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you've met Jesus and you've rejected him, Maybe you're sitting at home. This passage applies to you. Judgment is in your decision. It's now. It's not waiting to the very end of time because we are in the last days, in those last times, and God's judgment is being proclaimed by way of your choice to accept or deny the words of His Son, Jesus Christ. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. Look back to Joel there. Which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. In the miracles and the signs, the wonders of Jesus, God's judgment has been revealed in these last days. But whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you hear anything or remember anything that I say this morning, remember that. Everything else, negligible. But the best way to understand Pentecost, I think, isn't through the Old Testament prediction of Joel. That was just kind of an indicator, uh, uh, an explanation made available by the God's Holy Spirit to Peter through the Old Testament prophecy. But we understand Pentecost best through the New Testament fulfillment, right? Not through Joel, but through Jesus. So Peter proceeds to tell the old, old story of Jesus with two events, two witnesses of those events, two promises, and two conditions that produce one amazing, life-altering community, a brand new community. The first event was the crucifixion of Jesus. In Peter's own words, he says this, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, right? You did not do this to God. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But you got to read those two lines together. Nothing was done without God's approval. Notice something. Again, all of this was according to God's eternal plan and purpose which is revealed most clearly with the second event. First was the death of Jesus Christ. The second was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the resurrection of Jesus from the grave, God does at least two things. 
First thing, he reverses the human verdict. Right? In these words, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, moves from the curse of hanging on the tree to a place of exaltation and honor. The second thing God does is he proves to the world that violence loses and love wins. At the death of Jesus Christ, the world thought we win. The apostles thought we lose. Everybody was wrong. Violence lost, love wins. Love has the last say. Evil will never have the last say. Keep that in mind. In Peter's words, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So now Peter begins to add to his first testimony or eyewitness statements what he had begun with the prophet Joel. Right? So we now have two events, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but in ancient Jewish, even in our own culture, you need two witnesses right? to verify what you're saying is true and not a bunch of garbage and baloney. Right? Two witnesses. So Peter's got two witnesses. First one is the testimony of the Old Testament. Right? That was a witness. The prophets witnessed Jesus Christ in their prophecies. First it was Joel, now he turns to King David. Listen to this. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Now here's the thing. From this passage, the Holy Spirit inspires Peter to reinterpret the words of David as a prophecy of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Since David clearly died, right? And you can even go see his grave, and you can just picture in your mind that he is rotting in that grave, so this passage could not have applied to David. David was prophesying here, speaking of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is a witness. Peter says it like this, Fellow Israelites, I tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here today. You can go see it. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Let me keep reading. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did he see his body, nor did his body see decay. So that we have first the first witness group, we have the Old Testament. Now he turns to the second witness, and it's actually a group again, it's the apostles. It says this in verse 32: God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to it. We aren't. I need you to understand that. As you tell the gospel story, you need to include the eyewitness statements. You weren't eyewitnesses. We just got to kind of be careful about that. But we can take these eyewitness statements, and we can use them as we explain Jesus Christ to other people. Understand what Peter's doing. Again, in a trial like this situation, any statement has to be attested by two, two witnesses. So now he has the two witnesses. He's got the Old Testament, and he's got themselves, the apostles, then Peter concludes the Old Testament witness with one last flurry. He says this, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received the Father from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not descend into heaven, and yet he said, 
the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. See, and again, David, since he didn't ascend into heaven any more than he had been preserved from decay, right, by a resurrection of some type, you can all still see his grave. Peter says in this passage, referring to Jesus who did ascend into heaven and who is now making his enemies a footstool for his feet. And in this next statement, Peter declares the Jewish people to be in danger of becoming God's stepstool instead of his chosen people. Listen to this. Finally gets their attention. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you sacrificed, whom you crucified, excuse me, both Lord and Messiah. Right? That statement indicates that Jesus is now in a position. He has the capabilities. He had the permission to make them either into the chosen people that they were called to be or into footstools for God. This caught their attention, right? Nobody wants to be a footstool. Having somebody stinky feet. Nah, God doesn't have stinky Nah, never mind. I'll just go somewhere else with this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other disciples, excuse me, apostles, brothers, what shall we do? We've messed up. We didn't know. There's got to be a way that we can find some common ground, right? We're sorry. We're, they're cut to the heart, right? You ever have, you ever done something, you don't recognize it, and then somebody comes to you and says, this is how it impacted me, and you're, I didn't, oh, and you just feel horrible, right? You said it accidentally. You didn't know they were standing behind you, right? Things just get weird, and, and this is the position of the Jewish people. They're just like smacked in the face with the reality of what just happened. It had all happened so fast, and Peter slows it down for him, speaks slowly. This is the same Jesus that you crucified. He's now Lord and Messiah. You need to reconsider him. And predictably, the crowd is concerned, to say the least, and Peter responds. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to incredible promises. They're at the very, very heart of the gospel message. And so again, two events, death and resurrection of Jesus, is testified by two witnesses, the Old Testament and the apostles, and now the two promises, forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now the good news isn't only about what Jesus did, right? Listen carefully. Don't, don't get mad at me yet, right? If that was all about, we'd be right back to square one like ancient Israel, right? Commandments to follow, but no heart and no power to do it, no presence to walk beside us to follow all those commandments. We'd be in a world of hurt. It also... It's also about what he offers as a result of what he did. So I did not say what he did is not important, but for us, the real key is the results of what he did. The results are the forgiveness of sins. He wipes away our past, and he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, which gives us power for tomorrow, gives us purpose for tomorrow, makes us into a new people. And with hearts finally free from the guilt and the condemnation, the self-centeredness and, and all of that, right, the death and resurrection of Jesus and his exaltation at God's right hand clears the way for the gift of the Holy Spirit by which we can finally be the people that God created us to be and 
wanted us to be, meant for us to be. But there are two conditions, right? I've been making that very, very clear, so it's not going to be a surprise. There are two conditions. You don't have to give your firstborn, anything like that. But listen very closely. Same phrase, same, same passage. We're just going to focus on the top part of it now. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Right? That's a, that, that phrase kind of needs to stay together. It can't be separated. Repentance, first of all, is kind of a two-step process, turning away from self-centeredness, self-imposed exiles, right, and turning towards the freedom that God has waiting for us. Right? So it's not only a turning away, and if you only just turn away and stop, you're kind of neutral, and guess what? The world is going to turn you right back around, and you're going to continue in that same direction. Right? You've got to finish the turn. So many people make half the turn, but we've got to make the full turn, not only away from our self-centeredness, but toward God's sacrificial love. It's a two-step. We've got to make both steps. Also, repentance. Repentance goes seamlessly, kind of hand-in-hand with faith. Right? Because people don't repent if they have no faith that repenting is going to make a difference. I can promise you that. That's the biggest, one of the biggest barriers to people finding Christ. They just don't have faith that he can accept them, fix them, forgive them, love them. They have no faith that that can happen, so they don't repent. So in the name of Jesus, which signifies our faith in him, right? we repent. We can't do it without faith in him. And baptism, in our faith in the name of Jesus Christ, right, communicates or signifies our entry into God's new community. Right? We can become part of the new Israel. I want you to listen closely to these last words in Peter's speech. He says, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Right? So this new community is for all generations and all peoples. For all whom the Lord our God will call. And I want you to notice there that's not a choice that we make. He calls us and we respond. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So God gives us a choice of being saved. And I love this use of that phrase. If you look through the Old Testament, that phrase gets used in a lot of different ways. And there's a lot of different expectations. We come out of each time that that word is used, but I love this way that the word being saved is being used here, right? Being saved from a corrupt community or following God's call to join his new community. Represented in the next text is those who accepted his message and were baptized. Those represent those that said yes. And if they didn't take that opportunity, then that was a choice. Indecision, no decision is a choice. Everybody wanted to join. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. They all wanted to join what was easily the most exclusive community ever. And again, why? Because not allowed were simply not allowed in this new kingdom. The kingdom that God ushered, excuse me, that Jesus ushered in with his life, ministry, death, and resurrection. And here's what joining God's new community looks like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everybody was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Again, as I read this, and if you have never accepted Christ, God's speaking to you. I know he is. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. What an amazing community to be a part of. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Doesn't that just make you want to be a part of this new community? Praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And again, the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Again, everybody wanted to join what was easily the most exclusive group in the world ever in history. Again, why? Because it was a way of living. It was a way of life where not allowed simply wasn't allowed. So I know you've been thinking. You've been listening. I don't know God's been whispering to you. And I think it's time for all y'all, just like Peter said, every one of you, to just obey those whispers. You can listen and respond in your seat. These altars are open. If that's the place where you want to make that decision, maybe you made a decision a long time ago and you've walked away from it. Maybe as you listen, you've decided, mm, I can't miss out on those promises. I can, I can, I can, I can go with those conditions. Both the Old and the New Testament, the disciples are witnesses to the historical fact that Jesus was killed and resurrected back to life. And if you can trust this same Jesus and repent and be baptized into his new Israel, he promises, right? And he always keeps his promise that your sins will be forgiven and you will be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? You will finally have both the heart and the power to live the life Right, that you know, that you know God created you to live and wants you to live. It's a simple prayer. I want you to keep in mind that we can baptize you later. Right, it's kind of the after party that you can look forward to if you accept Christ this morning as your personal Lord and Savior. Right? It's the after party, right, that will express the joy that you will receive when you repent and you are forgiven of your sins and you have the gift of God's Holy Spirit. That's the after party that you can look forward to. Y'all bow your heads. Father, there are people who have been listening who need to make a decision for you. They want to repent. They want to turn away from the life that they've been living, and they want to turn toward you. And Peter has given the two events that made it all happen. He's given us great witnesses as to the truth of this incredible opportunity. But Father, we recognize that we need to repent. We need to apologize, knowing that we'll be given the gift of the Holy Spirit and our sins will be forgiven. So if you've been listening to this, Again, you can pray this prayer. Father, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I've been lording, being the Lord of my life, and I have not saved anything. And I am far from being saved. So I think it's time to turn the reins over to you, Heavenly Father, your Son. So, Father, as people make this decision here in this room, we thank you.
We thank you for Peter. We thank you for Luke who recorded Peter's speech. He wasn't even there. Did some research. Discovered that Peter had made an amazing statement one day and 3,000 people rejected participation in their corrupt generation and they separated themselves and became the new Israel. And Father, I pray today that people have made that decision. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who's been moving before this decision as we talked about during our prayer earlier. You have always been at work. And if you're listening to my voice and you're making that decision right now, you can thank God because you would not have been able to make this decision on your own, but he has always been working before you ever knew him, before you ever thought about today's events. Even when you hated him and were his enemy, he was wooing you in love. And today, accept that. Accept that love, accept forgiveness, accept the gift of God's Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for decisions being made. We thank you for a, a new life, a new person, entering into a whole new community, a little bit scary. But Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, give them a peace that they have never known before. Father, thank you. Thank you for everything that you've been doing, everything you're currently doing, and everything that you've promised to do, and you keep your promises, and we love you for that, and we, we count on that, and you know this. Thank you, Father. In the name of the, your Son and your Holy Spirit, we pray these things. Amen.